Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, June the 19th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, what Juneteenth means. On this Juneteenth edition, a look at the history of Juneteenth and also some of the history that you need to know about Texas itself. All of that coming up next. Dear listener, every day is a day indeed. That was Lift Every Voice and Sing, the Black National Anthem as it is colloquially known, written and originally uh, devised by James Weldon Johnson. I um, And I want to welcome you here to this Juneteenth edition of the Political Daily Podcast, dear listener. Thank you so very much indeed for your listening ear on this Juneteenth, that's June 19th, 2023, or whenever you happen to be listening to this edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. It's so wonderful to have you aboard here. Welcome, welcome, and welcome one and all. And dear listener, you are most welcome here. Do not ever forget that. Please spread the word about the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Well, it's more or less daily and, you know, it's pretty much daily. It'll take a day or two here and there. But this podcast is dedicated toward the idea of getting you to think differently, to expand your brain, to open your mind, and to be edified with the things you need to know and with history and for history that you have not been told, that you may not be aware of. We all have to learn. Every single one of us on this planet does not know at least one thing. All of us. You, me, us. So this particular podcast is dedicated to educating, to getting you out there and voting, and all manner of other things as well. So all in the service of making us all people who strive to do more to make this world a better place. And that's one of the 
things that this podcast and yours truly aims to do. And again, this applies to yours truly as well. So it is Juneteenth and, you know, it's one of those days, you know, every day is a day, as I said, and life is not meant to be easy, dear listener. It is not. If this society has hoodwinked you, you need to ignore the messages, if you can, that are bombarded to you each and every day through Madison Avenue, if you're here in the United States or wherever you might be. But particularly if you are here in the United States, you know that you get these messages that tell you if you only did this and if you only did that, your life would be on cloud nine and you would be easy breezy and you wouldn't have a care in the world. Well, that is a lie. And even if you are someone with lots and lots of money, you know that life is still not easy for you. You can still get sick. You can still be unhealthy. You can still have some tragedy strike. You can still go through unforeseen situations even if you are economically comfortable, financially comfortable. And of course, if you're not financially comfortable, if you're not economically comfortable, you can still live a reasonably decent life and be reasonably content. Or even more than reasonably, you can be content, but yet wish you had a bit more money in your life. That's, I think that's 98 or 99% of us on the globe, much less the United States. And then there's a whole lot of variance in between those two extremes, if you will. But, dear listener, life is not meant to be easy. It's not. It's not. That's breaking news for those people in the world who think that life is supposed to be a breeze. It is not. You cannot expect to eat, play, drink, and make love, have sex, F, whatever you want to call it, right? All the days of your life. You can't do that. And by the way, that would get boring really ass quickly. It really would get boring. We can be hedonists for a certain amount of time, but then there is a point at which you have to actually do something else with the precious gift of life you have to try to liven up the world and liven up yourself, or as Bob Marley would have said, lively up yourself. You have to figure out a way to do that somehow, whether it is going to school and getting an education, whether it is being employed somewhere, whether it is opening up your own business, whether it is organizing, whether it is whatever it might be that pushes your life forward and nourishes you. And galvanizes you and gets other people galvanized. So all of this is to say, dear listener, that we have a mission. And we have a mission on this planet in the very short time that we have on it. Because tomorrow is promised to no one. And of course, as you know, dear listener, we are all living on borrowed time. So with that said, dear listener... Juneteenth. I do hope you are enjoying Juneteenth. I do hope that this day on the calendar, Juneteenth, is a day that you've been getting to not just celebrate and observe the holiday, but actually learn more about the holiday. Learn about the history of Juneteenth. Because Juneteenth 
is something that is inextricably linked and tied to the very bedrock of this country and what it was founded on. It was founded on enslavement. It was founded on genocide. And those two original sins are incontrovertible. Juneteenth points specifically to one of those two original sins. That would be the original sin of enslavement of black people here in the United States for well over 384, 400-odd years in terms of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We were enslaved for well over 300... You have to think about this. Well over 300 years or so. Think about it. Because there are black folk here before 1619. There are some black folk here in the 1500s. Everyone talks about Jamestown. But if you read Ivan Van Sertima's book, They Came Before Columbus, Ivan Van Sertima talks about black folk being here in the 1400s, let alone the 1500s. Keep that in mind. The Juneteenth is, as I said earlier, not solely for celebration. Juneteenth is a holiday that didn't just come along two years ago on the federal level here in the United States. Yes, it's two years old in terms of its holiday. President Joe Biden signed a bill into law on June the 17th, 2021. That's two years and two days ago. And that bill, that order, granted Juneteenth forever to be a federal holiday, a national holiday. By the way, that cannot be undone now. That can never be undone. Juneteenth is a federal holiday. That means all Government buildings are closed. No U.S. mail delivery today. That's what Juneteenth is. And it's a day to remember, reflect, celebrate, study, advocate, persist. That's what Juneteenth is. I want to be very declarative about this, dear listener, because... What happens in this particular country called the U.S. of A. is that we have a very, very romanticized impulse. Our romanticized impulse is to water down, designify, glamorize, whitewash, and make antiseptic very meaningful holidays in this country. We can go to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. What's that? The third Monday of January. You've got Dr. King Day mattress sales, holiday sales. That's not something that Dr. King would have approved of. I can guarantee you that. He would not have approved of that. 
You have corporations pledging that they're going to donate this and do that. And nothing really changes outside the one day that they declare noisily that they are supportive of Dr. King Day or believe that Black Lives Matter or believe that Juneteenth is important. You've also got those situations where people, as I said earlier, look at Juneteenth as a celebration, but it is not only a celebration. And so the point of this episode, dear listener, is to really talk about Juneteenth and its meaning and where it originated from. I may go into, by the way, what happened today in Westminster in central London with the House of Commons. I might get to that today. I'll think about it for this episode. Otherwise, otherwise, I might just do it as a separate episode. Maybe I should just do it as a separate episode. I think that might be more appropriate. So let's do that, shall we? But Juneteenth is very important. Juneteenth, of all the holidays we have in this country, whether it is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, whether it is President's Day, whether it is Juneteenth, whether it is before that Memorial Day, whether it is July 4th, which is exactly what, two weeks and one day from now, whether it is Labor Day, whether it is Indigenous Persons Day, whether it is Thanksgiving, whether it is Christmas. Kwanzaa is not a national holiday, by the way. Or whether it is New Year's Day, right? Those are seven or eight federal holidays we have in the United States. Juneteenth is the only federal holiday that actually acknowledges the enslavement, acknowledges that there was enslavement of black people in the United States. Every other holiday doesn't do that. No other holiday does. No other holiday does. In fact, if you really look at all the other holidays, none of those holidays acknowledges the enslavement of black people or the genocide of the Native Americans. If you look at Indigenous Peoples Day, that doesn't really acknowledge the genocide of Native Americans. It celebrates Native Americans. Juneteenth is a very important holiday. And Juneteenth, these days, the last year or two since President Biden signed into law the uh, Juneteenth federal holiday, Juneteenth has been whitewashed. Juneteenth has been pushed down and pushed aside. Juneteenth has been diluted, dear listener. You have some schools in the south of this country talking about, oh, well, you know, Juneteenth is a holiday for diversity. It's a diversity holiday. And it is freaking well not a diversity holiday. How many people were being enslaved in 1865? I didn't see any white folk being enslaved. I didn't see any... Latinos being enslaved in the United States at that time, did you? 
I didn't see any white women being enslaved in the United States. Did you? White men, did you see that? Were they being enslaved in uh, 1862 and 1762 and 1560 or 1660? No. And in 1865, and I'll get to the history of Juneteenth in a few minutes. In 1865, I'm not aware that there were any white persons, white men, white folk being enslaved. I'm not, I don't think so. No, because it didn't happen. Didn't happen. He may have had some indentured servants. That is not the same, not the same as enslavement and hundreds of years of it. Not the same. Juneteenth is not a diversity holiday. Juneteenth is a holiday to remember, commemorate, celebrate, advocate, and persist in our freedom as black people. That's what Juneteenth is all about in a nutshell. And it's up to us to keep that history, that quest, that long, centuries-long quest for freedom and self-determination alive. It's up to us. No one else is going to do that for you. No one else. It's you and it's me. It's you, me, us. I am not giving any credit at all to President Abraham Lincoln, who in September of 1862, it might have been September 18th of that year, I'm doing this off the top of my head now, um, issued, issued the Emancipation Proclamation which was to take effect barely three months or so later, just over three months later on January the 1st of 1863. And by the way, it really, really didn't have that massively far-reaching effect. There was still enslavement going on, by the way, after 1863 and 1864. And there were loads of black folk in the South, but especially in Texas, who in 1865, when that calendar year began, were in bondage, still enslaved. And this is two years after the actual effect of the Emancipation Proclamation taking hold. Now, again, as I say, some of many people who are black, who were enslaved at the time that the Emancipation Proclamation actually took effect, January the 1st, 1863. There were still many black folk, even after that proclamation, who remained enslaved. White male enslavers and white female enslavers because they were doing this too. Don't get it twisted, dear listener. 
This wasn't only one person, one kind of person. White women were doing this as well, you know. You don't think that white female persons owned black people as property? You'd better think again. You'd better think again. And I get the idea that, yes, at the time, only white males who were rich owned property and were only allowed to. But there were white women who made it very clear who was boss in the plantation house. You'd better believe it. You'd better believe it. And sometimes they'd be more cruel and more wicked than the white man was when it came to the way that they behaved around enslaved black persons. 1865, dear listener. 1865. This is two years after the Emancipation Proclamation had been in effect, took effect, January the 1st of 1865. That's Of 1863, pardon me. January the 1st of 1863. That's when it took effect. And more than two years later, you had black people who were enslaved in Texas. In Texas. Largest state by land area. Had a decent amount of black people in it to begin with. Texas did. You have to think about something, dear listener. Texas used to be part of Mexico. And don't forget that Texas got its independence from Mexico. It would explain why you still have a load of Mexican names for things in, say, Texas and in California because both of those states used to be part of Mexico, that's Mexican land. You do realize, dear listener, and I'm not trying to be completely a, a jerk here, I'm just saying to you um, that that is how this thing went. That's how it went. Texas used to be Mexico, Mexico's land, that's their land. California, Native American land originally. So this is the thing. This is the thing. 1836, dear listener, Texas got independence from Mexico. It was bloody and Texas became independent from Mexico. And you had white men who are called settlers. Notice how the history books uh, characterizes violent white men, calling them settlers. Oh, we're settlers. We just settle down. We just settle down on the land. We settle here. We just walked in. We didn't have any guns and bayonets or anything like that. We just walked in and said to the uh, Mexicans or the Native Americans, and we, we just said, we, we're just here to settle. Now, just let us settle here, please. And uh, thank you very much. Be on your way. Uh, no, it didn't go like that. No, 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 no. Didn't go like that. 
Let me tell you something else about 1836. There was violence. There was blood. There would be blood. There was blood. Remember the Alamo, right? Now, think about that. People talk about remember the Alamo. There were lots of black folk who remained enslaved. Right? Black folk were enslaved. Remember the Alamo. And people are talking like they know what that is. That was at the heart of the Alamo fight. So I want to just give you some background here, dear listeners, before we even get to 1865 in Galveston, Texas. All the while that the Mexicans and these white people were fighting each other, there were black folk enslaved. You have to keep that focus in your mind. You have to keep that in your mind. You know that Mexico wanted to a degree, quite more of a degree than the white folk they were fighting, wanted to end enslavement. In fact, Mexico, in my memory, was, now it wasn't around back then, around 1820s, 1830s, they had ended enslavement in Mexico. And these white folk, oh, no, we want to, why are we ending it? You know, it's, that's the thought. That was the thought. And you have to realize, dear listener, that enslavement was the absolute, absolute thing that was going on. Absolute. There is no no question. No question. No question whatsoever. They fought at the Alamo, did these white men in Texas, to enslave black folk. That's what the Alamo was about. It wasn't about anything else, mate. It wasn't. Remember the Alamo? Really? Um, can you imagine? I actually think I saw someone who was black on TV many years ago shouting, remember the Alamo. I think it was the NBA Finals or something. And it was the San Antonio Spurs against the Miami Heat. And they had this crowd shot. This was years ago now. So back in the early Maybe 2012 or so. I think that's when that was one of the two times that Sandy, San Diego, San Antonio and Miami played each other in the NBA finals. I think it was one or two or maybe even three. I think they played each other twice, or maybe even more than that in the NBA finals. And there was a crowd shot. And I heard that there was some guy, black guy wearing a San Antonio Spurs shirt. And he was shouting, if I remember correctly, remember the Alamo, the Alamo. Because you know the San Antonio Spurs, I'm talking about the NBA here, used to play in the Alamo Dome. And you know the Alamo Dome was named after, you guessed it, the Alamo. And so you had some, I couldn't believe my eyes, some black guy going, oh, remember the Alamo? And did this 
See what happens when you don't know your history. As I said earlier, everyone on this planet doesn't know at least one thing, right? Everyone on this planet, there's something that we do not know in the world. But when you're shouting out, remember the Alamo, you are now displaying your ignorance. It's one thing to be ignorant. It's one thing to be ignorant. But to display your ignorance is quite another thing altogether. And so when this brother's on the TV and there's a quick crash on, he's like, remember the Alamo? Dude, bro, you have to understand something, mate. The Alamo was about fighting for white folk. It was fighting to keep and make sure that enslavement happened. That's what it was. It was, we want to be able to enslave black people. That's what that fight was about. That's what it was about. And people in this country have turned that into some heroic thing. Movies made about it. Friggin' John friggin' Wayne. I mean, movies mythologizing this bullcrap, a complete lie that somehow there was some heroism in fighting to enslave black folk at the friggin' Alamo, which is located in uh, San Antonio. And so you're sitting there going, man, some people just do not know their history. And it's not to be arrogant that you know it and they don't. That's not the focus here. No, 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 no. What I'm saying here is this, dear listener. You really do have to understand that when you are talking about getting wise, you can't be shouting out, remember the Alamo. When the Alamo was all about the enslavement, fighting to enslave black people. That's what that was all about, that fight at the Alamo. The Mexicans prevailed and then, of course, eventually, with enough violence and bloodshed, these so-called white settlers, invaders, through violence, got independence for Texas from the Mexicans. There was also, by the way, the Mexican-American War. That was a thing too. And that was a turbulent fight because it spanned really either side of 1836 from around 1828 right through to maybe 1848, 1842, 1840, around there. And in the middle of that was 1836, when there was a formal declaration of independence by the violent white men who said, yeah, Texas is independent. I just want to set the scene for you, dear listener, about where Texas's origin was before we even get to 1865, Galveston, Texas. Because right now, that's what you need to be aware of. 
is that this did not happen in a vacuum and the fight for freedom is eternal. This is the pen that President Biden used to sign Juneteenth into law. From the pulp of Ebenezer, from the bridge of Selma, in front of the graduating class at Howard, we've prayed, we've marched, we've celebrated. Folks, my message on these occasions and on this Juneteenth day is we got to go forward. We have to go forward together. When we choose to protect the freedoms we all deserve, when they are attacked, that's when we cannot remain silent. Silence is complicity. To heal the wounds of division so racism no longer tears us apart. We have to choose to be believers in a dream, doers of the world. Juneteenth, as a federal holiday, is meant to breathe a new life in the very essence of America. To make sure all Americans feel the power of this day and the progress we can make as a country. To choose love over hate, unity over disunion, and progress over retreat. Choosing to remember history, not erase it. It's a reminder that the promise of America is we all are created in the image of God, and we deserve to be treated equally throughout our entire lives. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Dear listener, welcome back. And it is indeed Juneteenth. And I talked a bit about the Alamo and about Texas and how it came to get independence and how the Alamo and remember the Alamo is a bunch of bullcrap and any black person, especially who is caught saying that needs to really have their mouth washed out with soap. I mean, at minimum. And anybody, white, black, white, whomever says says that stuff 
they don't know either they don't know what they're talking about or they are fans of enslavement of black people. Think about this. You had white people in Texas who had they're immigrants to Texas because it's not their land. It's actually Mexican land, but you know, Spanish Mexican land. Because when you think about it, yeah, there was a, a Mexican war with you know, Spain and Mexico got into it too. Right? So you have to understand. Mexico, and I said 1820s or 1830, it's actually 18, I think it's 1832, The Mexico said, that's it, no more enslavement here. No more. No more, no more, no more, no more. No more. 1832, slavery was over. As far as, you know, where the Mexican government was concerned. Mexico ended slavery in 1832. But you know what? You had white immigrants saying, white male immigrants, oh no, you can't do that. We need to continue, we need to enslave black people. And that's what the fight was about, as I said earlier, in the first block. There is a constant here, dear listener, that you will maybe already have picked up the enslavement and subjugation of black people was always the heart of all of these fights and wars always at the center of them in the united states always 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 and this is the kind of stuff that oh Ron the fascist doesn't want to tell you if you're in Florida. Oh, this governor in Mississippi don't want to tell you. Oh, that governor in Oklahoma doesn't want to tell you. Oh, that governor in Alabama doesn't want to tell you. Oh, this governor in Texas doesn't want to tell you. You have people like Jim Bowie. Spelt the same way that David Bowie spells his last name. Involved in enslavement, enslavement and in the enslavement trade of black people. Enslaved black people being tra- traded back and forth. And then you have a school called Bowie State. That's in Texas, last time I checked. So you are naming a school after an enslavement holder and trader of black people. And that is the case in cities, in states, in universities named after these kinds of people, these racists, these enslavers, all over the country, called the U.S. of A. I'm telling you, the heart of these fights, these wars, were about maintaining the enslavement of black people. He had Texas whites who were going, no, oh, you can't do that. And the Mexican government who owned Texas because it was their land, right? Was, oh, no, no, we're ending slavery here. 1832, that's it. That's it. But yeah, the white people going, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't end enslavement of black folk. We want that to happen. We want it to go on. 
And that's what the fight was about. I know I'm making it really, really clear again. It took until 1836 for these white violent men who wanted enslavement of black people to continue in Texas to win in to win quote unquote independence. But again, it wasn't exactly over, but there was a constant fight back and forth. And so that brings us fast forward now, and after the uh, Mexican-American War, Right, you ended up with Texas being controlled by white men. That's pretty much the deal here. Now, look, you really do have to understand again that the history laid out on the table is important, very important, because in eighteen forty-five. There was an annexation of Texas from Mexico. And that's what this also fought over, right? The annexation. So there is that part too. And there was a three-year invasion. Following the annexation in 1845, you had 1846 through 1848 or thereabouts. That was it. And it was around Texas and all the rest of that. You had invasions of tex- of, of uh, Mexico. So, again, this is in the run-up to 1865 in Texas. And 1865, again, now I want to just make this very clear. In 1865, we got to Galveston. And you do know, obviously, that in the Mexican-White-American War, it was the white Americans who prevailed. Violently. Violently. So on comes 1865, and... General Granger, who was the head of the general, uh, head of the Union Army in Texas, he got to Texas. He actually got to Fort Galveston in Texas. And it was at that time, on June the 19th, 1865, that he read out several orders. There were at least five general orders. I think one of them, the first order was give it up, Confederates, you're done. You've lost. Go home. Go F off. Right. That's pretty much it. Because if you look back again, I know I'm jumping around a bit here, dear listener. Thank you for your indulgence with me here as I, as I lay this out, because I just think it's really important to lay this out. If you look back just about two months prior to General Galveston, excuse me, General Granger getting to Galveston with those general orders. Order number one was basically Confederates, the jig is up, you lost, get the F out of here, or we'll root your asses out. Two months before General Granger came to Galveston, Texas, 
Robert E. Lee, the Confederate general, surrendered. You do know that. Surrendered in Virginia. April of 1865, April 9th to be precise. So just two months before, his surrender was pretty much the end of the Civil War anyway. That was fought from 1861 through 1865's four-year war. Still the bloodiest war ever fought on U.S. soil, by the way. And over 600,000 people were killed. I really want to bring this history to you, dear listeners, so that you know. And again, the Civil War was fought over enslavement of black people. That's what it was about. It was about enslavement. It wasn't about the union, the country. It was about enslavement of black people. That's what that war was for. I said before, these big wars, they were fought over the enslavement of black people. That's what it was fought over. Just like the Alamo, just like these other wars, fought over the enslavement of black people. These wars specifically that I'm talking about. Robert E. Lee surrenders in 1865, April of 1865, right? You've already had the Mexican-American War, a three-year three war after the annexation in 1845, right? So you had a three-year war after that, 46 through 48. The white Americans won that war violently, bloody, bloodthirsty. Held on to Texas. Texas declared its independence in 1836, but again, it was not settled, really unsettled. It, the, the independence wasn't really ultimately decided until after that annexation and that bloody war between the Mexicans and the white Americans. And so now, General Granger comes to Galveston, Texas in on June the 19th, 1865, nearly two and a half full years after the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln issued, that signed rather, took effect. And, dear listener, as I said, he read out one order, read out a second order, and then he got to an order called General Order Number 3. And General Order Number 3, dear listener, said the following. Let me read this out to you because I think this is very important. And I think you really need to understand where this background is coming from here. Here's General Order Number 3. And he read this out loud from a balcony. And read it out fairly loud so that lots of black folk who were enslaved could hear it. The people are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them 
becomes that between employer and hired labor. The freedmen are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages. They are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts and that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere by order of Major General Granger. Now, General Granger was not a hero. And second now, now now, General Order number three, except for the first sentence, is full of crap. Because when you read past the first sentence of General Order number three, you have essentially the undoing of the very first sentence of General Order number three. In other words, General Order number three is contradictory. The first sentence reads as follows, dear listener. Now I'll read this again. The people are informed that in accordance with a proclamation, a proclamation, the A proclamation happens to be the Emancipation Proclamation that was into effect, put into effect two and a half years previously, January 1st, 1865. From the executive of the United States, that would be President Abraham Lincoln, all slaves are free. So what General Granger is doing is reiterating Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. That's what he's doing in that first sentence. But here's the next part of the General Order Number 3 that is very insidious. He then adds in this line, I'm going to reread this. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them. Well, what was the connection heretofore existing between former masters and slaves? Well, what do you think it was? Enslavement. And so now, Granger says, that becomes between employer and higher labor. So what they're saying is it's no longer a case that you are now enslaved. You are now basically an indentured servant. You don't get to be that free. In fact, the so-called freed men are, and I use the word so-called, but it says the freed men are advised to remain at their present homes and work for wages. Well, where were their present homes, right? Hello, on the plantation. How the hell are you going to be free and still be on a friggin' plantation and work for wages? Well, do you know that black folk, rather, let me just put it this way. Do you know that white people who enslaved black folks got compensation after enslavement ended in this country and that these white people who enslaved your ancestors and my ancestors got money for doing so when enslavement ended in the United States? Do you know that? 
True story. We didn't get anything, you and I. Our ancestors didn't get anything. Keep that in mind. Then here's the next part. Again, I'm breaking this down pretty clearly, I hope. General order number three continues. They, the freedmen, right, are informed that they will not be allowed to collect at military posts. Well, if you are a freedman and you are being told that you will not be allowed to collect at military posts, that means you're not free. You're not free at all. Meaning you can't pick up a gun. You can't do anything like that. So you're not free at all. And, continues General Order Number 3, that they will not be supported in idleness either there or elsewhere. In other words, you're not free. Your ass has to continue to work. You can't dictate the terms of your freedom. That's what this whole General Order Number 3 is. And I really caution people not to be celebrating General Granger as some kind of hero. I think his name is George Granger. I forget. But I would caution you, dear listener, not to walk around here talking about General Granger like he's a freaking hero because he ain't. He ain't. And that General Order Number 3 Hey, I mean, it's a freaking joke. It's really a joke. I mean, think about it now. How are you going to issue a general order number three and the damn thing does not really in, in free, it does not really free black people at all. It really doesn't doesn't how can you be free dear listener and you're being told that you have to stay where you are (laughs) oh dear oh dear gordon granger is the name not george gordon granger just remember his name gordon granger so dear listener you have to understand that when black folk in Galveston, Texas, received this news. Some of them were very excited. Some of them were so shocked, they didn't know what to do. Others got the hell out of there. They didn't wait around. So, the order itself, only the first sentence of it acknowledged any kind of emancipation of black people at all. The rest of it was all about, well, you know what? You can't really go anywhere you want to go. In fact, you have to be forced into work. And you might get paid. You might. But you have to live in the same place where you are. You're rooted to the spot. So you're not free at all. And this is the ongoing struggle. And by the way, white people in Texas and across the South in the United States were so upset so viscerally angry and upset that this general order number three had told black people that you are now free to go or kind of free to go. You're no longer enslaved at least, but you still have to stay here. 
It's kind of the opposite to, well, you don't have to leave, but you sure have to get on out of here. You know that kind of phrase you hear? I'd have probably botched that up. You know? And there were so many white people in the South who were so angry that black people were now declared free persons, F-R-E-E persons, that they reacted violently. They whipped black people who would celebrate their freedom. So definitely black folk, not free, okay? Not free. If you've got white folk whipping your ass while you're celebrating your so-called freedom, by definition, you're not free. By definition. You had white people killing black people who celebrated their freedom. Killing black people, whether they celebrated or not. That bloodthirsty violence, that hatred, that anger, That continues today in a great many white people around the world. Angry, hateful toward black people. Who have not done anything to them, just mind their own business. And there's this hate and this twisted look in their faces. Their kids look at you in a hateful way. And you're looking down at the kid going, are you sure you're okay, kid? Who, which one of your parents told you or taught you to hate me? Or was it both of them? This is 2023 speaking, not 1865. This is whatever time you're presently listening to this in speaking. You have to understand, dear listener, enslavement was continuing in this country even after the... General order number three, black folk were never truly free. Now, there were some black people, obviously, who were able to escape, get free. There was a great migration to the north. So you had a lot more northerners, people moving north, black people moving north, 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 away from the deep south. But you also had a lot of enslavement continuing on right up until the 1940s. Yes, I said it. There's a book about this. It's a book about this. Trying to remember the author's name. I think it's Douglas Blackman. He wrote a book about this slavery in the United States. And he wrote this book and it outlined instances of enslavement right up into the 1940s, even into the 1950s. It was called Slavery by Another Name. That's the name of the book. Slavery by Another Name. That is the name of the book. And it outlines... All of this. The re-enslavement of, this is the subtitle of the book, the re-enslavement of black Americans from the Civil War to World 
War Two. I keep telling you, dear listener, enslavement for black people never really ended in this country. Don't forget you had, what, 90 years, nine zero years of Jim Crow? You had the Reconstruction, which was short-lived, was about seven and a half years. So after Galveston, Texas in 1865, the fight for freedom endured and continued because lots of black folk in this country were still enslaved, even in parts of Texas, even all over the sun. I shouldn't say even, but it shouldn't, it's not a surprise. In the South and in other parts of the country, New York had slavery. Brooklyn, New York had enslavement. Oklahoma, there were numerous. Listen, this was not just about the South. As Malcolm X has stopped saying, it's the South. When you're south of the Canadian border, you're south. This quest for freedom did not stop with Juneteenth. It was a celebration. It was a furious fight back by black people against white violence. See, that part doesn't get told on this day. Black people were fighting for their freedom constantly after Juneteenth, even on the date of Juneteenth, even when that general order was read out. Black people kept fighting for their freedom and their liberation. And the people who are heroes here are black people, enslaved black people and freed black people. They're the heroes here. It's not General Granger and it's not President Abraham Lincoln. Please read the book by Douglas Blackman, Slavery by Another Name. Because let me tell you something. After Galveston, you got to 1876, 1877, the Hayes-Tilden Compromise, which I've talked about a lot here. Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel J. Tilden, they had that really closely contested, bitterly contested election, 1876. It might be the most bitterly contested election ever in U.S. history, even more so than the one in 2020 and the one in 2000. And the bottom line is, is that there was a deal brokered between the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and the Democrat Samuel J. Tilden that, well, I'll give you the presidency, Mr. Hayes, if you withdraw on one condition, you must withdraw all of those Union troops in the Confederate States. And Rutherford B. Hayes said, yes, sir, Sam. Yeah, boss, we got ourselves a deal. You got yourself a deal here. And that's what happened. They shook on it. And what happened? All those Union troops were removed from the South. And once they were removed, hey, presto, you know what happened. More white violence against black people who were supposedly freed. No Union troops to stop that from happening and more black people were lynched and killed and executed all across the southern states. All across the states. Reconstruction was basically done for. And it was seven years of Reconstruction. And it was done. It was finished. 
And then you had the black, the massacres of black people, the black massacres all over the United States, all over the country. Hundreds of black people, hundreds of massacres of black people and thousands of black people being killed since that 1876, 1877 compromise. That they didn't care about black people's safety or about black people's freedom. They cared about something politically expedient for them. And they cared about power. And Rutherford B. Hayes cared about power. Until they wanted to see the boot put back on the necks of black people. And he got his wish. And Rutherford B. Hayes didn't give a damn about it either. He really didn't care. And this is what happened. So, dear listener, by the time we get to the late 1800s and into the early 1900s, there's so many black people being killed and massacred. And it's not that we just sat there and allowed it. We fought back. Fought back to the death. Don't forget you had Nat Turner in the 1800s. Don't forget you had, I think that was a little bit before um, 1877. But don't forget you had rebellions. You had a regiment in the early 1900s in Texas, a black regiment, the 24th, that massacred a load of white people in self-defense. Over this. Black people were being killed all over the place in Texas and everywhere else. White people were running amok. Domestic terrorism. Are you kidding? It was on steroids. On steroids. You had all these massacres. I say over and over again. You had so many of these. It wasn't just Rosewood, Florida in 1923. It was not just Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, where black towns got burned to the ground. It wasn't just those. There were so many others of these. And Jim Crow continued. Jim Crow really was in earnest. Jim Crow began, what, the 1930s, really. Nineteen thirties, nineteen forties. It's Jim Crow. Jim Crow. Actually, Jim Crow didn't really begin in the nineteen forties. I said to point this out the other day. Jim Crow began in the eighteen hundreds, essentially. Right uh, during all this turmoil, all this violence against black people, all this genociding of black people, Jim Crow began basically around that eighteen fifties, eighteen sixties. Really, eighteen uh, post eighteen sixties, and when the Civil War ended. And black folk were getting their freedom in quotes. The KKK began. The KKK was founded in 1865, essentially 1865, 1866. That's when the Klan began. And yeah, black folk being lynched all over the place. They were being, we were being lynched, our ancestors were being lynched, lynched before, during, and after the Civil War. Ever since we were dragged over here, kidnapped over here. To, to this continent, taken from our continent, the motherland. And so understand, this terrorism and violence against black people has been going on for over 400 plus years. That is the deal. And it never abated, never. You can't pick for me a period in American history, a period in US history where there was not violence against black people on massive levels. You can't pick a, you can't pick a decade. I challenge you to do it. You won't find one. Ever since our ancestors were dragged here, 
kidnapped from our continent of Africa, you will not find a decade where there wasn't mass violence and statewide violence and institutionalized violence against black people. You won't find it. Violence by white people against black people. You will not find that decade because it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Period. Period. Nineteen twenties, I just told you about what happened in Rosewood, what happened in Greenwood. The violence of the nineteen thirties, you had Klan increase its recruitment over a twenty five year period with Birth of a Nation, that was at nineteen fifteen, and then the recruitment into the Klan grew and more violence against black people persisted in Indianapolis, in Indiana as a state overall and in various places. You had Rudrow Wilson, that racist piece of garbage president, that white racist piece of garbage who showed birth of a nation in the White House. An avowed racist. You had all the stuff going on. The 1800s. You had all this, the trail of tears. You had all these things going on. Black folk never have had a period in the United States, in America, where they were not targeted violently by white people. Yeah, it's never happened. Never has there been that period in the United States. So excuse me, excuse us, if we are just a little bit upset about our place in this country. Police, the enslavement patrols, and the police today, they're one and the same. That's where the police came out of, enslavement patrols. Back in the 1800s. If not earlier, it's around 1830, 1830s as well, by the way. And this persists to this day. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, those are two of the many hundreds of thousands of black people who were massacred, murdered, executed by white cops, by white people. There were massacres of black folk all the time, public lynchings of black people all the time. And there were all kinds of people watching them. And this just drives me up the wall because people are so shocked these days, dear listener, about, oh, oh my God, there was an Olympic gold medalist attending January 6, 2021. He was part of the terrorist attack. He was in that crowd. Oh my God, there were police officers in that crowd as part of January 6, 2021. They were in the violence. They were a part of the terrorism. Oh my God, cops were in there? Yes. And cops were at the lynchings of black folk across this country. Priests were at these lynchings and burnings of black people at the stake. Doctors and lawyers and teachers and frickin' bankers, politicians. They were all attending these lynchings and burnings of black people at the stake. There would be 40,000 people watching these things like it was friggin' Roman gladiator, watching black people burned alive. 
Kids were there. White people wearing their Sunday bests. Please don't be shocked that there's some cop who's committing a terrorist act during January 6th when there are cops killing black folk every day in this country. Don't be shocked. Okay? Don't be shocked, dear listener. Do not be shocked. Especially when I've just laid out for you that you have bankers and lawyers and doctors and teachers and priests attending these freaking lynchings of black people. Some of them participated in the damn things. We have so much to learn, dear listener. And if we don't learn this history about this country, about Juneteenth, and if we don't understand that this is not just a celebration of our freedom, it's the continuing fight for our freedom. It's the continuing fight for our own self-determination. And believe me, black folk are the heroes here. No one else is. No one else. We were the ones who got our own freedom because we fought and died for it. No one gave that to us. General Order Number 3 didn't give it to us. I've already laid that out for you. General Granger didn't give it to us, nor did President Abraham Lincoln. Oh, no. It was us. Whether you're talking about Harriet Tubman, whether you're talking about Frederick Douglass. Oh, yeah, I know. I get it. There were some white abolitionists, too. John Brown among them. Who literally died for the cause. But I am saying here, dear listener, that it was black folk and black folk alone who were the ones who fought for our freedom and emancipation in this country. Us. And we are still fighting for our freedom. So Juneteenth is not all about celebration. Don't get me wrong, there were some black people who celebrated when General Gordon Granger issued General Order Number 3. In fact, he hadn't finished getting to the end of it yet, so there were probably some of those folks who did celebrate were too busy celebrating to actually realize that uh, you really can't leave here. But you're free. Double speak. Make no mistake. Make no mistake, dear listener, we are the ones who fought for our freedom and we're continuing to fight for it. It is a continuing journey across the ages. And don't let anyone ever tell you that Juneteenth was all about celebration. It wasn't. I'm going to emphasize that a gazillion times. Don't whitewash this day. Make sure that you read books like The Reenslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II. The title, the proper title is Slavery by Another Name by Douglas Blackman. Don't forget, make sure that you read The Counter-Revolution of 1836 by Gerald Horne, last name H-O-R-N-E. You must read that book. Don't forget, make sure you read On Juneteenth by Annette Gordon-Reed. That's a book you must read. Also read. 
Gordon Reed, Annette Gordon hyphen R-E-E-D. Pulitzer Prize winning book too for her. And she makes clear in that book that the Texas Constitution was all about A, having white people do what the hell they want and B, making sure that no freed black people were allowed in Texas. Making sure that enslaved black people couldn't leave Texas. So that's literally in the Constitution in Texas. I'm not kidding you. Go to the book right here. Go to the book right here. And that Gordon Reed. Let me read this to you because I think it's important that I do. And bear with me for one moment. History, dear listener, is important. Page 105. The chapter, by the way, is called Remember the Alamo. This is in the Constitution here, dear listener, for taxes, okay? This is in the 1830s, 1836. Thereabouts. There was no such place for language about all men are created equal in a battle in which race and culture were central. General provisions of the Constitution, this is the Texas Constitution, also drafted in this intense period, make concerns about controlling people of color, protecting slavery, and managing the new republic's racial future very clear. Section 6. All free white persons who shall emigrate to this republic, that's the, that's the white immigrants, right? And who shall, after a residence of six months, six months, make oath before some, isn't it five years now in this country? Anyway, make oath before some competent authority that he intends to reside permanently in the same and shall swear to support this constitution and that he will bear true allegiance to the Republic of Texas shall be entitled to all the privileges of citizenship. In this new republic, only whites were welcome. Section 9 of the Texas Constitution at the time. All persons of color who were slaves for life previous to their emigration to Texas, and who are now held in bondage, shall remain in the like state of servitude, provided the said slave shall be the bona fide property of the person so holding said slave, as aforesaid. Congress shall pass no laws to prohibit emigrants from bringing their slaves into the Republic with them, and holding them by the same tenure by which such slaves were held in the United States, nor shall Congress have power to emancipate slaves. Nor, listen to this, dear listener, I am reading to you the Texas Constitution, circa 1836. Nor shall any slaveholder be allowed to emancipate his or her slave or slaves without the consent of Congress, unless he or she, I told you there were white female enslavement persons. Didn't I tell you they were white female enslavers? Unless he or she shall send his or her slave or slaves without the limits of the Republic 
No free person of African descent, either in whole or in part, shall be permitted to reside permanently in the Republic. That's the Republic of Texas now, dear listener. Without the consent of Congress and the importation or admission of Africans or Negroes into this Republic, excepting from the United States of America, is forever prohibited and declared to be piracy. I'm telling you. There you go, dear listener. Thank you, Annette Gordon-Reed. Her book, that's an excerpt from it on Juneteenth. You need to read that book. It's the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. That spells out exactly what I've been saying. There really wasn't any freedom for black folk there. Now, granted, people weren't necessarily enslaved, but they weren't free either. It's a constant state of limbo. And that has been our story as black people ever since our ancestors were brought here in chains. We have never had solid footing in this country ever as black people ever, ever, ever. We have never had solid footing in the United States of America. So excuse us if we may not celebrate July 4th. As after all, Frederick Douglass once gave a famous speech, which I may well read again on this podcast before too long. Entitled, Oh, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July? We have never been on solid ground in this country. Many of us are deeply conflicted about this country. Some of us aren't conflicted at all. We're very clear about what the country really is. And there are other people who are black who are also not conflicted. They are on the side of enthusiastic flag waving. It's a small percentage of people. You know, the ones that will, the few, the few minor percentage that will actually vote for people like this piece of garbage. I'm telling you, dear listener, Juneteenth, yeah, there were some celebrations, but ultimately, Juneteenth was about our continuing quest for freedom. That's what it really was. And we continued to fight for it after General Granger's General Order Number 3. And we are continuing to fight to this very day. On this Juneteenth, Learn, educate, reflect, persist, advocate. That is our charge. We must transform this country and make it a better place in which we as black people can live. That really will be our charge here now especially in these times. And anyone else who wants to join that quest, please do the work in your communities to tell the people who hate black people that they have to knock it the hell off or that you will drill some sense into them. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.